1945, an organization was founded known as the United Nations. The United Nations began on the heels of the two great world wars and the, the beginning of a nuclear arms race. And our world looked at all of these realities and, and the devastation that it had just come out of after World War II. And, and the nations of the world got together and they said, you know, we need to do something to make sure that these atrocities never happen again. And so the world governments got together and they founded an organization, the United Nations, with the express purpose of creating an institution that would ensure peace in this world. In 1945, the, the United Nations, in their preamble, when they dedicated the United Nations, they wrote this in their United Nations Charter, the preamble. We, the peoples of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind, and to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of the human person, in the equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small, and to establish conditions under which justice and respect for the obligations arising from treaties and other sources of international law can be maintained, and to promote social progress and better standards of life and larger freedom. And for these ends, to practice tolerance and live together in peace with one another as good neighbors, and to unite our strength to maintain international peace and security, and to ensure by the acceptance of principles and the institution of methods that armed force shall not be used, save in the common interest, and to employ international machinery for the promotion of the economic and social advancement of all peoples. This was the goal of the United Nations founded 75 years ago. Friends, what happened? What happened to these lofty goals? and these incredible visions of peace and security, the elimination of world conflict. You know, it's interesting. I found an article. This is from June 29, 2023, the Washington Post, just this summer. Headline, a historic rise in global conflict suggests a violent new era. We're entering into a violent new era. The United Nations, which recently celebrated its 75th anniversary. If you go to the UN website, you can read this document, UN 75, 2020 and beyond. The title, A New Era of Violence and Conflict. The United Nations goes on to highlight a number of conflicts and, and global violence that they're working towards, entrenched conflict, organized crime, urban and domestic violence, violent extremism, new technological violence, the nuclear threat, and on and on. Friends, what went wrong? <laughs> 75 years ago, the governments of the world said that we were going to eliminate global conflict. We were going to bring an end to war. We were going to usher in global peace. And yet we turn on the news each day and we see a world that is literally inundated with violence. We see horrific images coming out of places like Mexico and Ukraine and Israel and Gaza. And it becomes quickly apparent that we are not living in a world at peace. In fact, we are living in a world of, as that article read, increasing conflict, increasing violence, increasing warfare. 
So what went wrong? Well, the Bible gives us an answer to what went wrong. We read, for example, in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The, the, the Bible tells us that the answer to why we have conflict and why we have violence is, is that there is something fundamentally wrong with the human heart. Remember last week we talked about the heart. The heart is the inner person. It's the inner self. It, it's what drives you. And, and the Bible tells us here in James, for example, that the reason why there's conflict and violence is because our passions are at war within us. In other words, there is something fundamentally wrong in our hearts. And this then overflows into conflict with others not just world conflict, but even conflict on a personal level, conflict in our lives, conflict in our marriages, conflict in our families, conflict in our churches. It's our passions at war within us. Proverbs 27, 19, which we saw last week, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Again, friends, what we see on the outside, what we see in the fruit of our actions and our lifestyle and our conduct is simply a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. We have a fundamental problem. Jeremiah 17.9 explains this problem like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If we're being honest about it, friends, we have to admit that this truly is the condition of our hearts. Reverend Billy Graham, he used to share an illustration from when the American astronauts first landed on the moon. If you remember, they landed at a place called the Sea of Tranquility. Reverend Graham used to comment that it was easy to recognize why this place was such a wonderfully calm and peaceful place. It's because no humans had ever been there before. <laughs> right? Wherever we go, wherever we go, we bring these sinful hearts. As we saw last week, our, our fundamental problem is that each and every one of us here, we stink. We stink, friends. Not just physically, but spiritually. Every one of us, every man, every woman, every child among us has this fundamental problem. A sin nature. A sinful heart which overflows into our lives. Paul says in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not a single one. He goes on in Romans 3.23, he says that all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. See, friends, understand this is truly our problem. It's our sin. It's this spiritual disease. This, this, this spiritual disease that separates us from our holy creator God. And it's this spiritual disease that it's, that's at the root of all the conflict and chaos that we find so prevalent in our world today. It's sin. It's our rebellion against God's will that leads to warfare and strife. Not only between nations, but between husbands and wives, between brothers and sisters, between friends. And I'll tell you something this morning. No organization, no relief agency, nor any other human institution can solve this fundamental problem, our sinful hearts. 
We are desperately sick. Friends, the good news again for us this morning is that this is where the message of Jesus and the message of the gospel speaks a word of hope to the world. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers men and women a pathway to true and lasting peace. We're going to look at this again this morning as we turn to this seventh beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Let's read through the beatitudes once again. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along or you can follow along on the screens behind me. Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. When he had sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now again, as I said a few minutes ago, this is the last of the character traits that Jesus mentions in the Beatitudes. The last characteristic of Jesus' people, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. I, I want to spend some time breaking down this verse for us this morning. What, what exactly is Jesus saying here when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? for they shall be called sons of God. Let's take a look at this verse together. The word blessed, for example. We've already discussed this during our series, but the word blessed is the Greek word makarios. It, it means happy or having an awareness of God's approval or, or a recipient of God's favor. It, it's to receive the smile of God in your life. It's, as Max Lucado describes it, it's to receive the applause of heaven to know that God's favor rests upon you. And if you remember, the, this, this idea of the blessing that Jesus is speaking of here in the Beatitudes, and, and specifically today, blessed are the peacemakers. These blessings, friends, remember, these blessings aren't the pathway to salvation. They are the response to our salvation. Okay, so, so we don't strive to be peacemakers so that we will be saved. No, we are peacemakers because we are saved. We are reflectors of God's character because we are saved. And so if you recall, the, the, the Beatitudes are sort of a golden chain as the early church father John Christosom talked about, right? They all hang together and they sort of all follow after each other. And so Jesus begins, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? The poor in spirit are blessed. Why? Because they recognize that they are nothing apart from God, that they have nothing within themselves to offer God. And so they're wholly dependent on God and his amazing grace. And that, friends, is the, the fundamental basis of our salvation. It's our recognition of our desperate need for God and his grace in our lives. And then we mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. We recognize just the, the depravity in our hearts, the, the spiritual disease that we're infected with. And, and we cry out to God again that we need his help. And God continues then to pour out his blessings. He goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then blessed are the meek 
for they shall inherit the earth. Remember, when we recognize our sin and our depravity and when we mourn our sin and depravity, we, we no longer live these selfish, self-centered lives. We, we live lives of meekness, lives of humility, lives of service towards others because we recognize that it is God who has so mercifully served us, right? And so again, these Beatitudes, they all hold together and they all flow out of one another. And it's the same thing with, with this last of these Beatitudes, these characteristics. These peacemakers are people who have experienced God's salvation. And because of that experience of God's salvation, they have been blessed. They've been blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. What about that term, peacemakers? The, the word peacemaker is made up of, obviously, the word peace. And in the Greek, the, the word peace is irene. And uh, if any of you are named Irene here, for example, that's where your name comes from, right? It comes from the Greek word uh, Irene, actually. It's Irene in the Greek. It means harmony, tranquility, freedom from disputes. A peacemaker is then somebody who promotes this Irene, this peace. And it's Irenopoios, which is a mediator, one who reconciles. And so we have this connotation of a peacemaker as one who brings an end to hostility between warring parties. Okay? And I think when we talk about the idea of being a peacemaker, that's kind of the traditional recognized understanding, right? Peacemaker, you know, my two son, you know, I got two kids and they're at war with each other, they're fighting, and mom steps in and she pulls them apart, and we think that's a peacemaker. Somebody who steps in and brings an end to conflict, or somebody who, who mediates conflict. And that is truly part of being a peacemaker. But when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus here is employing a broader understanding of the word peace. Jesus is speaking of a peace in its wider biblical context. He's speaking of the peace of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word. It's a word that's found 250 times throughout the Old Testament. It's a word that's used over 500 times throughout the entire Bible. It's a word that's used even more than grace throughout the Bible. The word shalom. And so when Jesus talks about peace, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus is talking about peace in its Hebraic context, shalom. Shalom, which means peace or rest, wholeness, soundness, well-being, reconciliation. So again, you can see that this shalom is far more than just somebody who separates two people having a fist fight. Shalom really is the essence of the kingdom of God. When you think about God's rule and God's reign and all the glorious things that come with that, you're thinking about shalom. When you think about heaven and you think about your loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord and you think about the wondrous things they're experiencing there, what you're thinking about is shalom. It's being in the presence of God and knowing God's shalom, his peace, his rest, wholeness, soundness, well-being, reconciliation. It's basically everything that God wills and desires for our lives. It was God's plan and purpose for this world in the beginning. It's what Jesus came to restore. And it's what one day at the second coming of Christ, we will experience in this world in perfection, shalom, peace, rest, wholeness, soundness, well-being, reconciliation. But when we read the scriptures, we understand that this shalom was lost in this world. 
It was lost in Genesis chapter 3 when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And the shalom that God intended for his creation was lost. It was broken as a result of sin. And it is this that Jesus came to fix. It's this fall, this brokenness of shalom that Jesus came to restore. We read in the Gospels that Jesus came to bring shalom back to the world. In fact, if you remember that great passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we talk about Jesus being the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. That literally means he's the prince of shalom. He's the prince of rest and wholeness and soundness and well-being and reconciliation. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, his first public act was to enter into the synagogue and open up a scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus read to the people these words. This was the initiation of his public ministry. He came to Nazareth where, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus was declaring that he had come to bring God's shalom back into this world. And here in this passage that Jesus read in Isaiah 61, we discover that God's shalom applies to three areas. We see here in this passage, number one, God's shalom applies to our inner self. It applies to our hearts, these, these broken, sinful, depraved hearts that we've talked about the last two weeks. God's shalom applies to our heart. Jesus says, I came to bring good news to the poor. Who are the poor here? He's not talking about the economically poor. It's like we talked about all the way back in the first week of our Beatitude study. Blessed are the poor in what? Poor in spirit. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor in spirit. What is that good news? The good news is that reconciliation with God is possible. Forgiveness of sin is possible. Shalom in your heart with God is possible. God's shalom applies. Secondly, then, we see in this passage that Jesus read to our circumstances. Jesus says, I came, came to bring peace and, and a peace that spreads into all areas of our lives. Liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight for the blind. Setting at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus says, my shalom brings freedom. My shalom brings healing. My shalom brings justice. His shalom applies to all areas of life in this world. The, the, the third way that God's shalom applies is, is to our relationships. Jesus read in Isaiah, he, he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was a reference to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Every 50 years, God's people were commanded by God to forgive all debts, to free all slaves, and to restore all property that had been taken from another person. In other words, this was all about restoring right relationships between people. 
between slave and master, between debtor and the one who was, the debt was owed, between those whose land had been taken from another. God says, we're going to restore all of that for the sake of restoring relationships between people. And so again, we see that God's shalom applies to all areas of life. Tim Keller, in his book, Generous Justice, he, he says that the, that the work that Jesus conducted as the Prince of Shalom, he says this, I quote, it means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. The redemption brought by Christ is about restoring everything to the way it should be. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus began. 2,000 years ago, Jesus began the process of initiating shalom in this world. And now we as his people, Jesus' people, continue to carry out the work of shalom in this world. And one day, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, God is going to bring his shalom in totality. And what an amazing day that's going to be, friends. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4 describes this day of peace, this peace that our world so desperately longs for. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4 says this. If you could go to the next slide, please. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow into it, into Mount Zion. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall settle disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Friends, is that going to be an incredible day yes. and that day is coming and if you watch the news and if you read the bible matthew 24 the signs of the times man this day might be right around the corner when jesus brings his perfect shalom back to this world and he is going to rule and reign from the temple in jerusalem and all the nations are going to flock to jerusalem looking for the peace and shalom that is only found in jesus christ that's our great hope, friends. And so when it comes to the seventh beatitude this morning, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, what he's talking about here are those who bring the shalom of God, those who bring peace and rest and wholeness and soundness and well-being and reconciliation to all areas of life in this world. And it is these, Jesus says, who will be called sons of God. What does that statement mean? One of today's leading Bible scholars, D.A. Carson, he, he describes it like this. He says, peacemakers are blessed because they will be called sons of God, not children of God. The difference is slight but significant. In Jewish thought, son often bears the meaning of partaker of the character of or the like. The peacemaker's reward then is that he will be called a son of God. He reflects his heavenly father's wonderful peacemaking character. Friends, have you ever had a, a situation like maybe if you're a father and you have a son, this happens to me all the time, people who know my dad, people who know my dad and they get to know me or they hear me preach, they'll, they'll often come up to me, oh, you're so much like your father, right? 
what are they talking about? They're talking about the reality that I'm reflecting my father's character. They, they see in me what they knew in my dad. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are those who reflect the perfect peacemaking character of our God. God is a peacemaking God. He's the God of shalom. And when we live as the bringers of shalom in this world, we are literally reflecting to this world the reality of who our God is. Isn't that awesome? And so we begin to understand what, a, what an incredible privilege this is. What an incredible calling this is to be peacemakers. In fact, we could translate Jesus' verse like this. Matthew 5, 9, blessed, blessed are, or in other words, God's favor rests upon the peacemakers, those who bring shalom, for they shall be called sons of God, reflectors of God's character. Again, friends, is there any greater privilege in the world than to be known as a son of God? one who reflects the character of God because they live the way of shalom, bringing peace, bringing soundness, bringing wholeness, bringing reconciliation. What an incredible calling. But there's a couple practical matters we need to address this morning if we're going to be bringers of shalom. The first is this. To be those who bring shalom, number one, we need to know the giver of shalom. See, the reality is, is you can't bring shalom if you haven't first experienced shalom in your own heart, in your inner man, your inner self. And so we need the peace of God, the, the shalom of God in our own hearts. Remember Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Jesus is the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. And as the prince of shalom, we understand that we can have three things through Jesus Christ. Number one, we can have peace with our creator God. We can have peace with our creator God. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, the apostle Paul, he says this, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to make peace. Peace with his creation. Peace with men and women. Reconciliation. Peace with God. How did he do that? He did it through his blood shed on the cross. Remember that heart problem we talked about earlier. The only solution, the only cure to that heart problem is peace with God. And that peace comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. And when we put our hope and trust in him, Jesus applies the shed blood of Christ to our hearts so that God no longer sees our wicked, sinful hearts. He sees the holy blood of Jesus that covers us. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus shed for us, his blood shed for us so that we might be reconciled to God. And as Grayson read for us this morning, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, would you like that peace this morning? Peace in your inner self? It comes by putting your faith in Jesus. It comes by responding to this free gift that Jesus holds out to each and every one of us and says, I offer you peace. It comes through a relationship with me. But friends, you need to receive that gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift, and God holds it out to each and every one of us. 
And we need to receive that gift by faith. And when we do, God promises us shalom with God. And as a result of the shalom we experience with God, the second thing that we experience through the Prince of Peace is this supernatural peace within. Listen to these incredible promises in Scripture. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace, shalom, I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says in John 16, I've said these things to you that in me you may have shalom. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, look, you're going to live in this world of trials and tribulations and hardships, but guess what? Because of me, And in a relationship with me, you can have shalom. You can know the peace of God within. Isaiah 26, 3, I love this promise in the Old Testament. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Friends, would you like that perfect peace? It comes by keeping your heart and your hope set on Jesus Christ, the one who brings perfect peace to any situation in our lives. And this is why the Apostle Paul says when we are going through trials and hardships and tribulations, we need to bring these things to the Lord in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an awesome promise that is. Friends, are you wrestling with anxiety today? Are you worried about the circumstances in your life? Do you struggle with depression? Right? God says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And guess what? When you do, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise from God, friends. I wonder if we experience so much anxiety and so much turmoil in our lives because we don't regularly bring all of our worries to the Lord and cast them at his feet and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you to be my Prince of Peace. And Jesus can do that for you. Jesus then promises us, thirdly, peace with others. This is a great promise, friends. This world full of conflict and turmoil and strife The only answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who can bring reconciliation between people. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16, the Apostle Paul talks about how Jesus broke the dividing barrier between Jew and Gentile, between these two racial groups that that literally were at war against one another, that hated one another, that had nothing to do with one another. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, peace with others comes by having peace with Jesus Christ. Because when we share that peace in Christ, we come to recognize that we are all one in Christ. It's like Paul says in Galatians 3.26. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
There's no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free. There's no male nor female. You're all one in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ comes to break the dividing walls of hostility, the dividing walls between racial groups, the dividing walls between nations, the dividing walls that are set up in your home between husband and wife, between mother and daughter, between brother and sister. Jesus came to break away those dividing walls. But you have to put him at the center of those relationships. And when you do, friend, you can experience God's shalom, God's peace. Friends, that's the answer for conflict in our world. That's the answer for what we see taking place in Russia and Ukraine. It's the answer for what we see in Gaza and Israel. There's not going to be peace unless we put our trust in the Prince of Peace, the only one who can truly bring shalom into this world. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, friends, we need first and foremost to, to know this shalom, but then we need to proclaim it to this world. And then we need to live it out in our own lives, practicing it consistently and faithfully so that others might see that there is a God of shalom through us. Remember, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, reflectors of God's shalom. Again, what a privilege. What an incredible calling. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this awesome promise of the shalom that is found in you. And we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to, to bring this shalom to us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the way. You are the one who can reconcile uh, all relationships. You are the one who can bring wholeness and soundness and peace and rest to our lives, Lord, to our worries, to our anxieties, to our turmoil, to our conflict. You're the hope of nations, Jesus. We look forward to that day when your shalom will truly run rampant throughout this world, bringing true peace and rest and an end to all conflict, an end to all division. Lord, we look forward to that day. We cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, and bring your shalom. But until that day, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in living out your shalom in this world, reflecting your character, your peacemaking character. And Lord, may we spread this shalom in our relationships. May we spread this shalom in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces so that others can know the God who's at work in our lives. And Jesus, like we've seen with all these other Beatitudes, we can't do this on our own. We can't be meek. We can't be merciful. We can't be peacemakers by our own power. We need you, Jesus. We need your amazing grace to continually do its transforming work in our hearts. And so again today, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We surrender our hearts to you and we say, Lord Jesus, come and change my heart. Help me to be a peacemaker in this world so that others can know the testimony that I've experienced, the peace that I've had with God. Others might experience that as well, Lord, through my testimony, through my life, through my words. Jesus, help us to be these people that you called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, would you stand for our benediction this morning? Our benediction today comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, 
Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.